Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome. And today we're talking to a gentleman in Truro, Nova Scotia. So, Chris, how close is that to Halifax? Uh, thanks, Peter. It's, it's about an hour away. Oh. It's actually about 100 kilometers exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, joining me this afternoon. And uh, let's start with your education first. Where did you go to school? Uh, St. Francis Xavier University in uh, Antigonish, Nova Scotia. And what was your major? Uh, got a business degree there. Uh, yeah. What was your major in business? Uh, actually didn't get a, uh, take a major there. Just uh, did the old general business degree. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I uh, focused a little bit on uh, accounting, but uh, I didn't major in it. So let's start to talk about your career in the workplace. So did you start some of that in high school or university? Um, pretty much in high school. And uh, I, I would say um, early on in my high school years, I was always uh, uh, lived in a family of entrepreneurs and uh, politicians. So uh, I was always in the space of... Um, ideas, if you want to call them that, and about uh, visioning for the future, and um, going on to uh, university, uh, I I was always kind of in the um, spaces of discussions in community and economic development uh, as a youngster, observing, uh, invited, uh, you know, as a youth representative at times. University uh, had an internship uh, program with uh, CIBC uh, during my years, take my BBA. And um, that brought me to uh, actually Truro, where I am, uh, along with um, my wife, at, uh, my girlfriend at the time, my wife uh, today. Um, and uh, actually, uh, during my university years, um, we had our firstborn and uh, I stepped out of uh, university for a couple of years, uh, ran a little uh, windshield uh, repair business as an entrepreneur. Um, again, uh, during that time, I uh, represented uh, some of the government youth programming out there as their uh, poster boy and uh, going to conferences, regional and national as well. And continued just to hang around with the uh, local regional development stuff. Um, coming out of university, I uh, worked for a short sprint with uh, Public Works and Government Services through one of the uh, tribal councils. And then uh, there was an opportunity for a position here at Illinois uh, about a year after that uh, in 2000. Took that and uh, I've been with the organization ever since. 21 years this April. Wow. You must be ready to retire. (laughs) I wish. There's lots more building, though. (laughs) Yeah. So 
Tell me about the name of the organization. Who came up with that name? Uh, it was actually given to the organization back uh, 35 years ago. And uh, the story dates back to about 1982 when uh, the organization, um, not the organization, but the community, um, the community itself, if you know the history, indigenous history, uh, experienced, you know, centralization, residential schools and Indian day schools and all that stuff. So you had a lot of uh, kids coming back from um, the 60s scoop era as well, where you had indigenous kids to uh, remove from their uh, indigenous families into non-indigenous families. So a lot of them were coming back into the, um, uh, coming back into the communities, uh, looking for their culture, looking for their family connections. And um, a number of people saw that. Uh, one specifically being named as um, Helen Martin at the time was the, I believe, president of the Nova Scotia Native Women's Association. Uh, Helen expressed her concern about the mental state of the kids back then and the young adults. So, um, and the kind of the adopting out of indigenous kids and, and all that. So um, she asked for a meeting of uh, the chiefs, uh, which was the Union of Nova Scotia Indians. They had a uh, meeting, did a resolution, uh, led to a big conference at uh, Liscombe Lodge in 1983, I believe. And um, from that uh, developed kind of the concept of uh, two organizations, one on um, one focusing on uh, social development, taking over the adoption of our kids. And the second, of course, being uh, if, if you um, if you wanted a successful economy, you needed a business development arm and you needed training, you needed jobs, you needed research. So the concept of Ulnuwek was born. The name itself is um, in in its literal translation. Uh, it actually means uh, il, ilnu, um, ilnu. Let me go back a little bit. Il, ilnu is our what you would we would call our autonym, and it, it is the name for our for ourselves in our own language, and um, so. Uh, Ulnuwek in its literal translation actually means Ulnu, it acts like. And, I, uh, you know, we always say that in, in translation, it, it loses its meaning um, within our language. So um, it loses its deeper meaning of hum humanizing an institution so that it, 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 uh, it ex exemplifies the values of the people it represents. That's basically what it means. And uh, when you're looking at our values of ways of knowing and being, that's what Ulnuwek actually means. So you have a development group that is acts like an Ulnu. Okay, so what are some of the programs and services that you offer? Um, <laughs> we've actually grown quite a bit since my 20 years started in uh, coming down to an organization about five people. Uh, we're pretty much about 60 employees now. So over the years, we've developed from uh, a lending organization that offers financing 
for com uh, commercial enterprises, both for entrepreneurs and communities, and also grants uh, from the government. We manage the uh, government grants program now under Indian um, Services Canada. We've been doing that for roughly about five years now. Uh, but since then, we, we've uh, grown, kind of uh, pursuing our, our journey of uh, access to capital and the gap in access to capital within the communities. So along that path, uh, we've developed uh, what we used to be called the Illinois Financial Education Center, where we developed a tool to support First Nation governments and their um, understanding of uh, audited statements. Uh, that was back in 2013. And uh, in the last uh, about five years or so, we've really focused on uh, our work with philanthropy, connecting philanthropy to indigenous communities. 2018, we launched the Illinois Indigenous Communities Foundation and um, basically trying to build the relations with the philanthropic sector. Uh, today, we're into um, fishery um, with the 1999 Marshall decision in fishery that opened us up into uh, a uh, team of experts in-house. Um, so that supports uh, communities from concept to financing. And um, in, in education, we started a program uh, roughly about three years ago uh, when the uh, program called Can Code came out and um, developed what, uh, what is called Digital Mi'kmaq. And that's bringing uh, STEM-related education into uh, First Nation schools, um, areas like big data animation, 3D tech modeling, uh, computer science, stuff like that. And um, with our foundation uh, this year, we actually launched a uh, partnership with MasterCard Foundation in, uh, about um, youth empowerment and uh, creating systemic changes. Terrific. So let's uh, dive down a little. Uh, tell me about the importance of partnerships to your organization. Uh, that's that's one of the key things, Peter, that uh, we really, really work on. And, uh, you know, you, you hear uh, trust being one of the main things about building a relationship, and uh, we try and walk that talk as an organization. So uh, when we go back to the definition of Ulnuig uh, as an example, and um, going back to how we see uh, and value uh, Mother Nature and Mother Earth, then we look for organizations that have similar uh, values uh, and people even within that organization that have those similar values. And, and of course, that have a relationship that um, want to build uh, for the future. So we're not looking for organizations that just want a one-year partnership. Right, and just make a fast buck for us. Uh, what we look for is a long-term relationship, and uh, that looks at uh, 15, 20-year horizons where you're affecting change for generations. And uh, if you're not interested in doing that, <clears throat> then, you know, it, it, it's, it's um, I, I like to say, like, we, we don't uh, want to pick the low-hanging fruit. And relationship building for long term is not picking low hanging fruit. Okay, let's talk about people now. Your staff, your board of directors, your advisors. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a variety, diverse uh, amount of staff. 
indigenous, non-indigenous, uh, local, international people, uh, is in the education, you know, with education and, and from, uh, CAs to, uh, CMAs to, uh, MEDs, uh, I mean, um, yeah, masters, uh, MBAs to, um, uh, people in astrophysics and, uh, you know, engineers. And so the variety of the stuff that we do impacts children. So we need the best in those areas. And um, so uh, in, in terms of, uh, um, and there's a good balance uh, of uh, um, um, women and men as well, and uh, the LGBTQ community as well. Um, and uh um, in in terms of um, our board, our, our board is uh, representative of our membership, which is um, the First Nation communities in Atlantic Canada, and the board is uh, two chiefs chiefs from every region. Uh, one actually one in Newfoundland and one in PEI, two in each uh, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, and we have three different board members. Uh, one representing the Assembly of First Nations, one for the uh, uh, Native Women Associations of Atlantic Canada, and uh, the Grand Council as well. And um, so that's our board. Our external advisors range from local people, um, consultants, economists, to um, a, a longtime advocate of Indigenous economic development in Quebec, Montreal to a uh, advocate for access to capital for indigenous people out in um, British Columbia. Uh, so a ver again, a variety of and uh, diverse amount of uh, expertise uh, helping the organization. Hold on now. I thought you were Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah, well, you must be turning into a national organization. Well, I, I would have to say, Peter, we are a national organization. Um, our initiatives uh, carry forward and impact nationally. And, uh, you know, I, I've gone over the country, uh, not only in Canada, but in the States, and, um, you know, uh, as an advisor to foundations and how they approach uh, communities. Um, was part of the development and uh, inaugural board for the um, recent National Indigenous Resilience Fund that was developed in, in times of COVID. Um, we were actually one of the six founders of our association, NACA, the National Aboriginal Capital Corporation Association. And, um, you know, we've carried kind of that torch for us as being, uh, being the light, uh, the first light as an organization, if you want to call it that. And uh, we're, we're not afraid to step into those uh, areas where Indigenous people have not been. And uh, we do it with intention so that uh, others can follow. In terms of the business development side, Chris, do you uh, help people on reserves start businesses? Uh, our market is both on and off reserve. So uh, when you look at Olnawag, um, uh, our market for lending anyway and grants is uh, the Atlantic Canada. And um, there's uh, pretty much almost 60 organizations like us uh, who do lending, but our market is uh, the four provinces. And uh, we service uh, all indigenous people, uh, whether they are from here or from other areas that live here now. 
that is who our clients are. Now we get to an interesting question. <laughs> Three years from today, what's the organization going to look like? I honestly don't know, Peter, <laughs> to be honest. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing how uh, if you look at our strategic plan we did five years ago, we didn't imagine that we would be where we are today. We didn't imagine we would have an education program in STEM where our partnership with the Canadian Space Agency would have taken a small Mi'kmaq basket and an eagle feather to space at the International Space Station. You know, and Or that we would have been involved in a, a large project, national project, where we sent 45 Indigenous youth across the Atlantic Ocean uh, on a leadership and cultural uh, trip um, to La Havre, uh, France. We didn't, uh, you know, we, we didn't have those plans. We said we had some uh, moonshots, if you want to call them, but we went beyond the moon. You know, we, we literally went, uh, you know, into space, um, but uh, we didn't, even with the foundation uh, we launched uh, in 2018 during our five-year plan, we imagined our growth to be very gradual, you know, understanding that uh, if you look at philanthropy, there's only 1% uh, philanthropy going to Indigenous-focused organizations. So we knew it was an uphill uh, battle with that. But with the foundation where we launched it, uh, in two years, uh, we had a multi-million dollar uh, partnership with MasterCard. And uh, we're just... Uh, built the infrastructure in the communities uh, through our foundations and set, setting them up with qualified donors. And we flowed thousands of dollars to um, communities uh, through our three organizations. But Chris, you're an innovator. Three we years call, from now yes. should be pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd love to say, Peter, um, three years will, from now, we will have a very robust youth um, um population. Our focus on uh, MasterCard is to empower our youth, and I'd love to see in three years them really take a hold of that and uh, come back and reclaim our traditional territories all across Atlantic Canada and into the states of where Mi'kmaq, Malice, Passamaquoddy, and the Inuit and Inuit were, right? and, and uh, reclaim that space for themselves. In the mind, not only body, but in the mind. Right, and the mindset of that. Um, I, I, uh, we are about to uh, uh, um, close a deal with a purchase of uh, uh, a property called Windhorse Farm, which is um, a part of it is uh, about 200 acres, and a part of it is ancient forest, pre-colonial forest. And uh, we're going to change that into, uh, not change it, but improve it, with our indigenous, uh, including indigenous pe people to it. Um, but we're going to create a uh, education and healing center out of that. It's going to fall under our Illinois education center and it'll be a safe space for youth and for elders, both for indigenous and non-indigenous people to uh, create relationships and create those allyships that we envisioned when we signed our uh, original treaties. So, Chris, I looked at your website, and I noticed it's only in English. 
Is there a reason for that? Uh, we're, we are working on it uh, to uh, tr do the translations and one, um, uh, but in English it's, it's the common language and, uh, but we do have um, staff that actually do speak French that uh, we serve as the French population in Northern Nebraska as well. But luckily with our um, growth now, we do have people that uh, can speak the Inuit and Inu language, I believe, in, in our youth, and the Maliseet language as well, and uh, recognizing the tribal, different tribes there. Um, it is something that we are currently actually working on, Peter, in uh, making sure that the educational stuff that we develop is developed in, in consideration of all the tribal groups in our region. Why not set up an office in uh, Vancouver so you can visit there when it's warmer? <laughs> yeah, don't don't <laughs> don't tempt me on that one. Uh, but uh, to, you know, to be honest, too, Peter, our, our actually our CEO is based out of um, Toronto, near Toronto. Yeah, and uh, our um, uh, senior investment manager, um, his name is Daryl Hassig, is based out of Calgary. And uh, so we have our office, head office here. Uh, roughly, we're looking at about a ten, uh, about ten people, and um, we have an office in Stephenville, Newfoundland, uh, Eel River Bar First Nation, Northern New Brunswick, Listigush actually in Quebec, and um, uh, Fredericton, New Brunswick, and the rest in Halifax. We actually have two offices in Halifax, the city. And um, the rest of our staff are just all spread across Atlantic Canada. So, Chris, talk to me about the difficulty of reaching off-reserve people. Is that harder than reaching on-reserve people? Uh, historically, we did have difficulty in that. But I, I think uh, Elnawek's name has definitely grown, the brand has to, uh, you know, the recognition of Old Norg as a brand has grown. And um, with the foundation as well, the Old Norg Education Center, although we launched it in 2013, uh, the logo itself is uh, practically uh, less than a year old. And uh, we're, we're introducing that to the public, basically. And uh, the foundation, like I said, it's only... Uh, uh, it'll be three years old this July, if I'm correct. And uh, so that's just getting recognition. But that, even that pr has provided a, lot, a, a lot more kind of brand recognition for Olnoyg because of the flow of funds and how they flow and for what purposes, right? So we're not seen just as lenders anymore, but supporting um, the creation of uh, trails in the woods or, or uh medicine bundles for the communities or, you know, youth centers, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. So what about the pandemic? And then after the pandemic, will things change from what you're doing today? Uh, it definitely has changed already. And the way, um, um, in, in terms of business, it, it's uh, we were able to uh, react very quickly as an organization. And uh, because of um, our kind of healthy bottom line, if you want to call it that, 
we're able to uh, provide consultant services at uh, 100% grants to the commu- uh, to the businesses um, um, without government grant approvals, but they came after the fact. But we were able to provide a $5,000 grants to for businesses to hire consultants to go through all the uh, different programs that got, were coming down from the government, uh, both federal and provincial. Um, we were then able to provide lending, of course, because of the initial infrastructure that we provided for the communities and setting them up as qualified donees. We were also able to react to the funding that was coming down through the Community Foundations Canada, also from MasterCard, where we took COVID monies and put them directly and float, float them directly to the communities. So we basically had the taps open when those that was ready, um, which five years ago we couldn't have said that. Right, and it's uh, it, it's getting much better in terms of uh, technology. Um, we just did a press release a couple of days ago that ACOA did provide us with some support to update even our technological capacities to do like what we're doing here, Zoom calling, right, and providing uh, better kind of efficient ways to reach our clients through um, you know online signing authorities and stuff like that. Uh, in terms of education, when we were going into the schools uh, teaching kids, that, of course, stopped when COVID hit. But then we developed <clears throat> what we called the Backyard Science Project. And that was basically teaching science to kids right, right literally in their backyards and put that online and uh, shared it with the communities. Uh, it act, that actually went uh, international. There were over... 100,000 downloads to those uh, resources from U.S. and across. And um, that we've actually put that on uh, a learning management software. Um, yeah, so it's um, there's a lot more I think we can do in terms of uh, technology-wise. And it really has, I think, opened our eyes up into the possibilities and even utilizing more of technology to do this stuff. So obviously a lot of what you're doing now will continue, say, in September when we may have some degree of normalcy. I, I think so, yes. And uh, even if we get um, you know, more interaction to a pers- on a person-to-person interaction, I think just the, the uh, uh, location of some of these communities, like I mentioned, we're in Labrador where you have flying communities. We're able to access those uh, online and through Zoom and even interact with the youth and the elders through Zoom as well. All we need to do is provide that, te- te- that technology to them. During COVID, we actually uh, reallocated some funding that we had and we were able to um, uh, <clears throat> provide 600 laptops across Atlantic Canada to uh, all the indigenous communities. That's terrific. Well, you have a, a, an extremely positive story. You are an innovator, and Thank you may you. not like the term, but you are a social enterprise. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, we're all social enterprises in the indigenous communities. Well, you're very much giving back. So, yeah. Chris, how do people find your website? Um, there's several, actually. Um, you can go to www.ulnoowg.ca, then that's olnowek.ca. 
Um, our foundation is olnawickfoundation.ca. Um, our uh, educational one is um, digital, uh, com, which is digitalmigma.com, and that's our educational uh, website there. And you can find us on, on uh, social media as well, Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter, and uh, with those three uh, different organizations. Well, thank you very much for your time today. It's it's a great story to tell, and you've told it extremely well. So thank you. Thank you, Peter.